Hello and welcome to Grace Life Tigerberg. We are a gospel-centered church family focused on reaching the unreached and making disciples. We pray this teaching will help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus and discover more of the reality of Christianity. Yeah, you can just uh, tell him that you missed him, because I'm sure you would, especially after today. So, I'm just joking, I'm just joking, we're going to have a good time. But uh, Etienne told me that you're busy with a, a series on, um, what is it called, Creator to Flourish. So I want to get straight into it today and talk about that. Um, I did not listen to the first message or messages, so I don't know what it was and what was not said. Uh, but I know we would be in harmony with what we, what we would talk about. Um, but I was thinking about it, and you know, the first verse that came to mind for me with regards to flourishing... Uh, well, let me, let me ask if anyone has a verse that, that would jump into your mind. I can do all things. I actually thought of that, and I didn't put it in my notes. That was like one of the first verses I thought of. But there's one that is often used with regards to flourishing, because another word for flourishing is prosper. And so you could say it's uh, 3 John verse 2. 3 John verse 2, the King James puts it like this. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospers. Okay, so what do you think about when you hear the phrase uh, created to flourish, created to flourish, okay, or prosper, another word for flourish, um, what, what, what com comes to mind for you straight away? Don't say it out loud, but I know what comes up for a lot of people is money. Okay, and we want to flourish in business and all of those kind of things. So we're going to talk about this today. The Strong's definition uh, 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 for this verse when it comes to prosper means to help on the road that is to succeed in reaching a destination. When I read that, I, I liked it very much. Uh, because we're all on a journey somewhere. We're all, there's a purpose to why we're ex in existence. Amen. Okay, so, you know, uh, uh, to prosper means you, you, your, your journey is prospering and the you get to your destination. Okay, and also, uh, figuratively, so I, I like the fact that Strong says this isn't the, the primary use of the word, but figuratively it can mean to succeed in business affairs. Thayer's uh, dictionary says, to grant a prosperous journey, to lead by a direct and easy way. So it means it's an easier journey than it could have been, okay, to grant success, to uh, cause to prosper, and to be successful. But what we've got to realize here, and I'm jumping straight into it, is when we see the phrase, uh, mayest prosper, okay, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper, I want you to prosper, uh, John, the writer, is not talking about financial prosperity, Okay, he's not talking about financial prosperity, and I'm going to get into that, and I'm going to explain it uh, in a lot more detail than I am now, so you can uh, get excited for that. But, you know, all eras of um, associating money to this kind of verse can be avoided if we learn to just understand the message of the Bible. Faith a uh, uh, salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. If we understand that, if we understand the gospel, then we're not going to easily read money. We're not going to easily read uh, uh, finances and wealth. 
Okay, our blessing in Christ is spiritual. I can't dig into all the details of what I want to unpack today, so I'm just going to touch a few things and Etienne can fix it. But um, our blessing in Christ is spiritual. And, you know, what a lot of people will do is say that you can take that spiritual blessing and convert it into a material blessing. Okay? That's false. That's fraud. Let's call it what it is. None of the apostles in the New Testament taught about converting spiritual blessings into money or material wealth. Now, is it wrong to have material wealth? Not at all. We need your material wealth. You saw the giving of us asking you to give. Okay? But the point is, is you're not going to prosper by your giving. You give because you prosper. So I'm going to un un undo a lot of uh, myths. And uh, I want to encourage you, if you haven't listened to my message in, from Ron that I taught in Rondebosch last Sunday night, it's a very easy, encouraging message. I encourage you to go online and listen to it. Okay? And then uh, uh, tonight in Rondebosch, I'm going to continue on this journey. So uh, if you want more information on this, then go and look. There, there's more information there. But we need to read the Bible with a Christ-centered approach, not with a materialistic mindset. Because you can read the Bible with a materialistic mindset, with a greedy mindset, and then you just see uh, me, 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 me. And unfortunately, that's what the church has become around the world, a me, 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 me church. Listen to the songs that are sung. It's about me. Listen to, like if you see how pastors have to bend over backwards to create an environment and a service which fits me, all the individual me's, so that people are one to come, it's ridiculous. Because people aren't spiritual enough just to go, I'm going because it's the right thing to do. <laughs> I go to this church because the word is being taught. I study the Bible, and I do the right thing because it's the right thing, not because I want anything out of it. I give because I love God, and I give because I, I want to see the kingdom uh, uh, growing and reaching more people. I want to see this gospel reach out. And yet, uh, a lot of the time when we say, you know, you don't have to give. If your response is, that's such good news, and you stop giving... It reveals the state of your heart that it's covetous, that it's full of greed. The Bible does not teach us how to make money through faith. Okay? It teaches us how to use money because we have faith. I'm going to say that again. The Bible does not teach us how to make money through faith. So any preacher who teaches how to make money through faith is fraudulent. I'll put it very kindly. Okay, the Bible teaches us how to use money because we have faith. Okay, how, what, the Bible does speak about how to make money. The Bible speaks about it. I'm going to talk about it tonight. How to prosper materialistically. Okay. Now, look at, uh, let's look at uh, 3 John verse 1 and 2 there. New Living Translation. This letter, everyone say letter, is from John, the elder. I'm writing to Gaius, my dear friend. Everyone say friend. So I want you to see the context of this verse. I wish that you may prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. What? It's a letter to a friend. <laughs> okay? It's a letter to a friend. He says, verse 2, 
Dear friend, I hope all is well with you and that you are as healthy in body as you are strong in spirit. Okay? John is writing to a friend. He's not writing to you, firstly. He's writing to a friend. Does that mean this, this, this letter is not for you? No. This letter is for you, but it's not written to you. Okay? You can, you can verify that by reading the Bible. It says, this letter is from John. I'm writing to Gaius. It doesn't say Nadine. Okay? Does that mean you shouldn't read this letter? No. It's for our benefit that it's in the Bible so we can learn something. Okay? But it's a letter to somebody else that we have the privilege of reading. Okay? Because it's loaded with truth. Now, when studying the Bible, we can't just take out verse 2 here and put it on a fridge magnet. And that's our verse that we, the only, that's the only verse that many people know from 3rd John. Have you ever thought of that? I was thinking about it while I was preparing. And all the preachers that I know that use verse 2 to uh, 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 propagate uh, prosperity, they never quote another verse in this whole chapter, this whole book. And yet, the whole thing is only like, I don't know, 20 verses or something. So we're going to go through the whole chapter, the whole book today. Okay? So I can show you what the writer was intending. Because we need to consider the context. Who wrote this? To whom? Why? It's not a, 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 a cherry-picking verses and then put it together to kind of give an idea. We need to see what did the writer, John, intend was writing his letter. He was inspired by the Holy Spirit. He was grounded in the truth of Genesis to Malachi scriptures. He, he was writing uh, a spiritual truth for the benefits of Gaius. And, who, and then if anyone else reads this, it'll benefit them too. Okay? You know that when John wrote this, he meant a specific something. When he said friend, what did he mean? I'm assuming he meant friend. Okay, and it's not just because I understand the word friend, but if friend was to change the meaning today, and all of a sudden friend meant lover, we couldn't read in there and mean that they were lovers or something ridiculous. I'm, tr I'm trying to figure out how to illustrate this. But the words there only mean what John intended. It doesn't matter how the dictionary changes today. Because culture changes the dictionary. Society, uh, uh, cultures through time change the meaning of words. Okay? So, the, 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 there's one meaning. A verse cannot mean anything other than what the author intended. That's important. And many of you need to, fig, uh, to, to kind of etch that on your heart. So when you read your Bible, you understand what it's trying to tell you. Okay? This letter, 3 John, only uh, um, can mean what John intended for it to mean when he wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit whenever he wrote it. Okay? So, I think uh, before we go further, it's good for us to do introspection. It's good for us to evaluate our lives for a moment and think about what we believe and what is the fruit in our lives because of what we believe. Because what we're experiencing in our lives is the result of what we believe, not what we say, because sometimes what we say isn't in connection with our hearts. Okay? You know that it's humility 
to evaluate yourself and make course corrections. It's humility to recognize that you've got a, a fault or an error and you adjust yourself. Okay? But we need to evaluate ourselves against the Word. Not against our feelings and not against material wealth. You know how a lot of Christians evaluate their faith? Is they look at what they have. Ah, I've got a nice car. I'm blessed. I've got I've paid all my bills. I'm blessed. But then, you know, if I believed that, I wouldn't be here this morning. I would be preaching give to get in, in Solari's Pass and trying to get that church to give more so that they can prosper more. But that would be cruel. And that's not what we're called to preach. We're called to preach the gospel of eternal salvation. Colossians, uh, let's look at um, Colossians 3, verse 1 to 6. I'm looking from the voice translation. It says, So it comes down to this. Since you have been raised with the anointed one, Jesus Christ, the liberating king, set your mind on things above. So where should your focus be? Above. Okay, set your mind on things above. The anointed is there, seated at God's right hand. Stay focused on what's above, not on earthly things. Not on earthly things. Because your old life is dead and gone. Your new life is now hidden, enmeshed with the anointed one, or with the anointed who is in God. And on that day, when the anointed one who is our very life is revealed, you will be revealed with him in glory. So kill your earthly impulses. Lose sex, impure actions, unbridled sensuality, wicked thoughts, and greed, which is essentially idolatry, idol worship. It's because of these that the wrath of God is coming upon the sons and daughters of disobedience, so avoid them at all costs. So let's unpack this a little bit. Our focus should be on things above, not on things of earth. Okay? We should consider ourselves dead too, another translation says. Or we need to kill earthly impulses. And it lists the earthly impulses there, and it finishes off by saying greed, which is idolatry. So greed is something that should not be part of a Christian. Because we have the nature of Christ, and Christ's nature in us is generosity. It's to be generous. That's, that's the nature of Christ. We give because we are generous. Okay? If I say to you, give into this offering, and you will get a hundredfold return. And now you give your best seed. Then what's going to happen? I'm fueling greed. Because if you are, you know, I think we get into it just now. But if you give because you're expecting something in return, you're not thinking of the person that you're blessing. You're not thinking of the ministry. You're not thinking of the gospel. You're thinking of yourself. And so with that in mind, a lot of teaching in the church fuels greed. Even if money isn't mentioned. So... When we get into greed, we're not worshiping God, we're worshiping ourselves. Lightweight encouragement this morning. When our prayers are about what we need and what we can get, it's idolatry. 
You know how I can fuel idolatry now? I can, I mean, I, I can do it. I can pray and, and, and hear from God and I can start just giving some words and encourage you. But, you know, you, the way you package it can also, um, uh, it can be maybe not a word from God, but it could just be an encouragement or a word from God packaged in a way which fuels your greed. Your ship's coming in, brother. Don't give up. Now you're thinking about yourself until your ship comes in. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and that is used to, to, to kind of make someone think about themselves. There's a lot of teaching and ministry in the, the body of Christ that promotes idolatry and greed. Discover your purpose. Those are our um, fully packed meetings. Because everyone wants to be able to know what their purpose is. I won't touch on that now. A lot of grace teaching makes people self-censored. Because we just want to feel the love of God. I said this last week, but you know, I had someone tell me, now I feel compelled to do this. Because what happened was, they, um, long story short, but I reminded them of a commitment they had made two years ago. <laughs> Not to me, but to themselves and God. And, they say, and I said, when are you going to do that thing that you said that the Lord told you to do? They were like, now I feel compelled to do it. I said, no, I'm not, I'm not, there's nothing, I'm not bothered if you do it or not. I was just wondering. <laughs> what, is it wrong to feel compelled to do something that's right? No. But in, in, in a lot of grace teaching, you must never feel bad. That's not grace. We don't want you to feel bad, but if you're doing bad, you should feel bad and change. <laughs> it's always the right time to do the right thing, and it's always the right time to stop doing the wrong thing. Amen? You don't believe that so much. But so, so you know what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians? I think it's chapter 5, verse somewhere, before, before the, the new creation deal. It's, it, you know what it says there? It says, the love of Christ compels us. And if you read the context, what does it compel us towards? Ministry. So if you're feeling like, oh, I feel like I have to minister to people. I feel like I have to reach out to people. Good. That's how it should be. Because you experience the love of God, it shouldn't make you want to sit on your blessed assurance in your chair and just be like, wow, I'm so loved by God. I just want to enjoy Jesus here and never do anything. No, when we experience His love, it should make us not be able to sit still. We should be like, I have to do something. I have to go and tell someone. It's not like I want to. I'm tired. I would rather stay home, but I have to do this. Very seldom does it feel, do I feel like going on a ministry trip. Very seldom. Often I'm like, let's pack my bag. You know, I have to leave now. <laughs> anyway, that's usually when I pack, right? So the point is, is that it's not wrong to feel compelled. Okay? Especially if it's compelled, like the motivation should be better than that, but it's not wrong to feel compelled. So where were we before we went on, on track there? You know, when we get into greed, we're worshiping ourselves. All prosperity teaching, give to get, God wants you rich. It's not just wrong, it's evil. 
it's evil. And it's out of ignorance a lot of the time that it's taught, but it's evil. So take a breath, calm down. Let's get some uh, 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 more questions for personal reflection. Are you living for Jesus or are you living for yourself? Are you living for the kingdom of God or are you living for comfort and pleasure? Many Christians are serving God because they believe God's going to bless them. If I go to church, God's going to bless me. Are you serving God because He is God or are you serving God because you want something? <clears throat> Some would say that if you have faith, you're going to be acting out your faith by giving and then you'll prosper, you'll never lack, you'll have everything that you need so that on all occasions you can always be a blessing and give. And <clears throat> They equate material wealth with having great faith. And yet some people who have great faith are poor, materially. It's not called faith, it's called covetousness and greed. And so <clears throat> there's a lot more that we need to say on this. And we don't have enough time for any of it. But I encourage you to listen to my message last week, listen to my message from tonight, and just seek the Lord. Let's go into John, uh, 3 John. I want to give you a bit of background to the book first. We're going to go through the whole thing, okay? There are several books in the New Testament that reveal to us a lot about the early church, the culture of Christianity, the life, how, how the believers lived. And this is true of uh, 3 John as well, okay? This is a private letter between an elder and uh, uh, a Christian named Gaius. The letter starts with a commendation of Gaius. The, uh, John is saying, uh, well done for your, your godly life, for your generous hospitality towards traveling ministers. Okay? The letter then moves on uh, to expressing a deep concern over somebody. Diotrephes. Diotrephes, let's call him. Okay, and he, because of his selfish ambition and his selfish activities, you'll see this as we read through it. And then John finishes off his letter by giving some advice before closing uh, his letter with uh, expressing a desire to visit them. Again, showing this is a personal letter. Okay, the three main points that, that you can get out of the letter are number one, we need to support Christian ministers especially those that are traveling and taking the message out. Number two, church discipline can, can, is necessary to help the church be healthy and flourish. And then number three, the integrity of faith is proven in action. Faith without works is dead, as James put it. Let's get into it. 3 John, uh, from verse 1, uh, and we're reading from the New Living Translation. This letter is from John the Elder. I'm writing to Gaius, my dear friend, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I hope all is well with you and that you are healthy in body as you are uh, strong in spirit. So like I said earlier, this is a personal letter that we get to read. Okay? Um, the King James puts it like this. I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. So it seems more like a greeting than a theological statement. When you read it as a letter, it seems more like a greeting than a theological statement about prosperity. However, what we believe will always come through in what we say. What we believe will always come through in what we pray. That's why often in prayer meetings, <laughs> you know, it's difficult to listen to some people pray. But thankfully they're talking to God, not me. 
John is expre expressing a genuine desire that Gaius' health would be doing well. And that his health would match his spiritual health. And your spiritual health is always good. It's maybe just your emotions that, that aren't doing so good. Okay, so a good lesson here is that we can, we can only prosper in our health as our soul, our mind, our will, our intellect, our soul prospers. So how your, is your, what we can learn from this letter so far is how is your heart doing? How, how, how is your thinking? Because your heart is dependent on your thinking. If your thinking is bad, your heart's going to not be so happy, and the rest of your life will probably follow that route. So we've got to be guarding our hearts. Okay? The, the, which word was this that I looked up now? Health. Health, health. I looked up the word health there for interest sake, and it says in the Thayer's Dictionary, to be in good health. So let's talk about physical health. But you know there's a metaphor that it's used, uh, it can also be used metaphorically for Christians whose opinions are free from a mixture of error. I like that. So I would apply both. Yes, God's will is health. Amen. Jesus demonstrated that. He wants us to be healthy. He wants us to be healed. Okay, but he also desires that we would our um, uh, our opinions, our beliefs would be free from a mixture with error. So it's important for us to remember verse two is not the most important verse in this letter. Okay, so we're talking about flourishing. And I want to show you where a lot of Christians would take the, 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 this verse to say God wants us to flourish, wants us to prosper. And what I'm aiming to show you, excuse me, is that there's many other things we should be learning from this uh, letter. Not God wants you to prosper and have lots of money. Okay? And I believe He does want you to have lots of money. But you can't obtain that through faith. That's something else we'll talk about tonight. Verse 3 and 4. Some of the traveling teachers recently returned and made me very happy by telling me about your faithfulness and that you are living according to the truth. I could have no greater joy than to hear my that my children are following the truth. Or other translations even say occupied with the truth. Verse 4, parents, is a great verse to stick on your fridge <laughs> and motivate you to raise your kids in a way <laughs> where they love the truth. I'm not take, talking about speaking the truth. I'm talking about the Bible. Okay? But what we get out of this is that being Christians in word only is not enough. We must live out what we believe. Amen? We must live out what we believe in action. Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So Jesus speaking in Matthew here, and He's saying, hey, let people see your light shine. Do good. Now we should all be, well, Jesus said, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. So we should be affecting or infecting in a positive way the world and the culture. Okay? How do we let our lights shine? What is the light? It's Jesus. It's the truth. It's the gospel. His word is a light unto your path. 
Okay? So we, the, 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 what Jesus is talking about with good deeds isn't feeding the poor, although that's good and you should do it. What he's talking about is preaching the gospel. Because through the preaching of the gospel, unbelievers can get saved and nobody can bring glory to God unless they're saved. Nobody brings glory to God. No one can honor God. An unbeliever can't do that. They're dead. Okay? Let's move on. Verse 5. <clears throat> Dear friend, you are being faithful to God when you care for the traveling teachers who pass through, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church here of your loving friendship. Please continue providing for such teachers in a manner that pleases God. For they are traveling for the Lord. And they accept nothing from people who are not believers. So we ourselves should support them so that, their par uh, so that we can be their partners as they teach the truth. You know, verse 2. If, if we take verse 2, um, may you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. If we take that as we, God wants us to be wealthy and have money, why would a traveling preacher need money? Why would they need people to look after them? Surely they would have enough to go to the, the hotel. <laughs> so, <clears throat> ministers shouldn't be ministers for financial gain. The Bible shows us that in many cases. But we are in ministry for the, the gain of the gospel. The gain of the gospel in reaching unbelievers and the gain of the gospel in your life as a believer because we want to see the gospel take territory in you as a Christian by you starting to think more like Jesus and live more like Jesus. Okay? <clears throat> That's why we do what we do. We don't do it for the money. But all believers should be partaking in the ministry of the gospel even if it's by only supporting ministers that are out there or ministers that are in here yeah if we're looking after ministers whether it's accommodating them or feeding them or giving them money we need to do so in a way that's pleasing to god that's what that verse says the verse before that it says that we should do it in a way that god, god is pleased with so it's good to ask ourselves <clears throat> Uh, uh, are we living in, that, in, in light of that? So here's what we learn from Gaius. Now, we're going to look at a couple of things of what do we learn from 3 John. I'm going to show you we don't learn anything about prosperity through faith. But what we do learn is as a minister, so the, for those of us who are ministers, we need to ask, are we ministering to see people come to salvation and to grow in the truth, or are we ministering for money? Because if any minister is ministering just for money, write Ichabod on their forehead and leave the room. Don't listen to them. Because they're not interested in your well-being, they're interested in their well-being. Okay? But then for you guys, saints, for all the saints, we need to ask ourselves, are we faithful partners in the gospel? Are we faithful? You know, the gospel is the message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and what it means for us, that through believing in that, we can have eternal life. This is the best news ever, and it needs to get out. 
And around the world, the gospel is tainted and people have misunderstandings of it and it's not doing like it should because it's, it's, a, it's a mixed message. And so we need to take the pure message and start propagating it, getting it out there. It takes money to go further than we are. We can all take the gospel where we are, but we need to take it further than that too. Jesus said, to the ends of the earth. So we need to ask, are we faithful partners in the gospel? Are we faithful to care for the ministers of the gospel? Are you faithful to take care of your pastors, Etienne and Catherine? Are you ever thinking about, do they have their needs met? Or are you always thinking about, what are they going to teach this Sunday? I hope it's something that's helpful for me. Or are you thinking about yourself in terms of what am I getting out of this church? It's not meeting my needs anymore. Maybe I must go somewhere else. Are we truly hospitable with our resources, with our attitudes, and with our time? And we've stayed in many people's homes as we've traveled all over the world for, for ministry. And we've stayed in some nice places and we've stayed in some places. Okay. And so we know that, you know, hospitality isn't just about here's a space for you to stay. Hospitality is not just about time that someone gives to you and a meal that someone gives to you. It's also about an attitude. Sometimes you'd rather stay in your car than have the attitude that comes with the room. Now, another question we can learn from, from this so far is, do we provide for ministers in a way that would truly please God? So let me ask the question, why do we give to the gospel? Why do we give to the gospel? It's not because we want to prosper. It's not because we want God to look after us. It's not for any reason of selfish gain. It's not for anything to do with you. We give because we love God. We give because we love the gospel and we want it to reach people. We give because we are blessed, not because we want to be blessed. If you only give to get, you're selfish. You're full of greed. You're covetous. And it doesn't matter what kind of tag you put on it, what kind of label. Ah, I give because if I have more, then I can give more. No, 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 no. You're greedy. Okay, look, look at Luke chapter 6, verse 38. If you're greedy, this is your favorite verse. Give, and you will receive. Amen. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together, to make room for more. Everyone say more, don't. <coughs> Running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Hallelujah. And so you have clowns who use this verse and will say that there are four or five different levels to prosperity, however many it is. You know, there's pressed down, shaken together, and running over. There's four there, hey? Mass isn't so big this morning, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> we love you. But you know what? We use this verse to say things like, you cannot expect God to give to you unless you give to God. You cannot expect God to give to you unless you give to Him. Sow a seed to meet your need. Sacrificial offering for your supernatural breakthrough. 
You can get the buckets ready. Let's look at the context. Luke chapter 6, verse 27 to 29. But to you who are listening, or are well to listen, I say, Jesus speaking, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, take your shirt also. Okay, so it's not saying that you have to let them hit the other cheek. It's saying don't respond. Luke chapter 6, 35 to 38, we're looking at the context. Love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for He is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. Hang on. I thought God only gave to you if you give to Him. But now this is saying something different. You must be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. Don't judge others and you, won't, you will not be judged. Do not condemn others or it will come back against you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Pressed down, shaken together to make room for more. Running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. So, if you look at the context, God is not there. The only way that He's in that whole passage is God is there to tell you about, uh, 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 Jesus is talking about God in a sense of the nature of God. And He's comparing the nature of God to the way we operate. Okay? Who are we supposed to be good to? If we like, our, if we like God, who are we supposed to be good to? To everybody. Okay. Verse 36. Let's read it there. The first before that, please. You must be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. This is the nature of the Father. This is the nature of the Father. This is how we must be. This is in our DNA. It's not only um, give to people that you like. Okay, it's only, <coughs> it's, it, it, it's be, bless, be a blessing, be good to everybody, to everybody that, that, that you come into contact with, okay? This is not a teaching on giving money. Verse 38 especially is not a teaching on giving money. This is a teaching on the nature of God. This is a teaching on the true nature of God. Men give in response to each other. If you're honest, you treat most people in your life the way they treat you. And most people treat you the way that you're treating them. Okay? But God doesn't operate like that. God is compassionate. God is gracious. God is kind. God gives kindness to the unthankful. We don't do that. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to say sorry. They should say sorry first. They didn't do this, so I'm not going to do that. God gives kindness to the unthankful and the wicked and compassion to all. 
Not just those that are, are, are worshipping Him. You know, I, 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 uh, there's so much that we can say about this. Um, Matthew chapter 5, the end of Matthew chapter 5, it says that He causes the, the, the sun to shine on the wicked, on the unjust, and the, the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. So that means the rain, which is a blessing, the sunshine, which is a blessing, is for everybody. Do you know that God put gold in the earth? Do you know what gold is? Look at your neighbor's ring. Gold. I'm talking about gold. You know, that gold belongs to whoever dug it out. And then they did what they did, and now it's on your finger. Why? Because they went and dug it out, and you bought it. That's how they became wealthy. That's how we all become wealthy. We take advantage of the blessing of God that He put in the earth for everybody. He doesn't just give gold to believers. There are wealthier unbelievers in this world than there are wealthy believers. Look at the Middle East. People who, don't, who hate Jesus. They'll kill you if you, if, if you say, you, 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 if you go there and try and uh, um, uh, uh, tell people about Jesus. I, I, I know of a family that went undercover, you know, in a, a couple of years back. And they were teachers there on paper, but they were, uh, they were actually um, missionaries. And they had uh, some wild group come and killed them, uh, the whole family. It was the front page of the Sunday Times here years back. And you know what was interesting with that? Is the Sunday Times didn't mention them as missionaries because they didn't know. But that's why they were killed as well. Let's move on. Verse 9 from um, uh, 3 John. I wrote to the church about this. But Diotrephus, uh, who loves to be the leader, refuses to have anything to do with us. When I come, I will report some of the things he is doing and the evil accusations he is making against us. Not only does he refuse to welcome the traveling teachers, he also tells others not to help them. And when they do help, he puts them out of the church. Sounds like a nice guy. Okay? He's a church leader, and John marks him as being ambitious, proud, disrespectful of uh, John's apostolic authority. Okay? He says he's rebellious, he's inhospitable. The kind of leader you want, right? <laughs> no. But John also, on top of that, says that this guy tries to hinder other people from showing hospitality. And if they show hospitality to these ministers, he kicks them out of the church. So here's what we can learn from dear trippers. There are many people in the body of Christ just like him. Hopefully none of you. They have a high view of themselves. And they uh, uh, will reject any God-given, biblically-defined shepherding in their lives. 
God's word shows us that he wants all of us to be shepherded. He wants all of us to be in a community where there are mature believers who will look after us and help us and grow us and all of that, okay? This isn't man's idea. This is God's idea to be shepherded in a local community. But someone like Diotrephus won't tolerate it. Why? He won't tolerate biblical leadership or shepherding in his life. Why? Because biblical shepherding would mean that his idols get exposed. The issues of his heart are then exposed. Okay? And it means that he would have to deal with his lust for recognition. He's got self-promotion. He's trying to establish himself. He loves to be the leader. He's establishing himself. He's promoting himself. He's uh, doing all of this stuff. He loves the recognition. And so he's not prepared for someone to expose his heart and help him grow. So he can tolerate superficial shepherding. He can tolerate shepherding from a distance, which isn't actually shepherding at all. Because uh, then leadership won't pose a threat to his, his idols, to, to the way that he lives. Okay? This is how he operates. He's unteachable. Even when godly leadership decides to try and challenge him on his pride or her, what, what happens? He rejects that. Because pride blinds us to start thinking that these godly people in my life who are sacrificing comfort in order to confront me with an issue, they don't know what they're talking about. That's an attitude of Diotrephus. They're not thinking about these godly leaders in my life who are sacrificing the potential, rejection, uh, potential of rejection. They, I might, they, they, they're not thinking about themselves. They're thinking about me. They're coming. They're confronting me. And they're wanting to help me grow. But they don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> That's the attitude that he has. A person like this needs godly leadership to pull them aside and take the risk and say, Hey, brother. Hey, sister. You need help. But usually the unteachable spirit that they have has deceived them and... Um, they're, they're, they're far from being able to get the help that they need. That shows us why we need to surround ourselves with godly leadership and allow godly leadership to speak into our lives. This is a much better thing to learn from Third John than God wants you to prosper. Verse 11, Third John. Dear friend, don't let this bad example of this leader influence you. Follow only what is good. Remember that those who do good prove that they are God's children, and those who do evil prove that they don't know God. So there will always be negative influences in the world and even in church. Do the right thing anyway. Okay? Let the Word of God define your actions. Don't let your feelings define your actions. The Word of God says forgive. So forgive even if you don't feel like it. Another example would be going to church. <laughs> A lot of people don't allow the Word of God to shape their approach to church. Okay? And I found this from gotquestions.org. Popped up on my uh, Instagram. 
And I loved it and I wanted to repost it and then I realized it would be bad. So I decided to rather read it to you. Because you're here. <clears throat> okay, so it's on there. You can put up the first slide. The early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and to breaking of bread. We should follow the example of devotion and do the same things. Back then, they had no designated church building, but every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Whenever the meetings take place, believers thrive on fellowship with other believers and teaching of God's Word. Church attendance is not just a good suggestion. It's God's will for believers. Hebrews 10.25 says that we should not be giving up meeting together as some as are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another all the more. You see the day approaching. Even in the early church, some were falling into the, the bad habit of not meeting with other believers. The author of Hebrews says that it's not the way to go. We need, to, we need the encouragement that church attendance affords or gives us. And the approach of the end times should promote us to be even more devoted to going to church. Church is the place where believers can love one another, encourage one another, spur one another to love and good works, which means encourage as well. Serve one another, instruct one another, honor one another, and be kind and compassionate to one another. You know what I got out of that last part is if you're, not, if you're discouraged, if you're feeling unloved, if you're not spurred on to love and good works, if you're not uh, uh, serving anyone, and if you, you, you don't have the opportunity to serve anyone, if there's no instruction in your life or whatever, uh, uh, but you're feeling like disconnected, you're feeling unloved, you're feeling discouraged, it's probably because you're not connected into church like you should be. When a person trusts Jesus Christ for salvation, he or she is made a member of the body of Christ. For, give me a second here. For, the, for a church body to function properly, all its body parts need to be present and working. <laughs> it's not enough just to attend church. We should be involved in some type of ministry to others, using the spiritual gifts God has given us. A believer will never reach full spiritual maturity without having that outlet for his or her gifts. And we all need the assistance and encouragement of other believers. For these reasons and more, church attendance, participation and fellowship should be regular aspects of a believer's life. Weekly church attendance is, no sense, is a no sense required for believers. For someone who belongs to Christ should have a deep desire to worship God, to receive His Word, and to fellowship with other believers. Jesus is the cornerstone of the church, and we are like living stones being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. As the building materials of God's spiritual house, we naturally have a connection with one another, and that connection is evident every time the church goes to church. So I leave that challenge with you before we finish this letter, because it's finished almost. But that's something good to learn from this letter. <laughs> Third John is the importance of being together, 
the importance of valuing what God values, the importance of the bride of Christ and gathering together and having deep relationships with each other. Now, was, we were invited to a birthday party this morning. I was shocked that they even did that. I said to them, Sunday's for church. That was my response. They even said to me before they got my response, I, I don't know what that's going to mean for you guys. I can say what it means for them. They don't value what God values. God values church. I don't know why they don't. It's a good eye-opener. It's not wrong, like, it's obviously miss a Sunday or whatever. It's not sin. It's like that, 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 um, that saying, if, if you go a day without reading your Bible, you shouldn't feel condemned, you should feel hungry. If you go a week without going to church, you shouldn't feel condemned, you should feel like you missed out. Big time. <laughs> because you did miss out, and we missed out. You robbed me. You thief. <laughs> Sir John chapter 12. Everyone speaks highly of Demetrius. So now he's commended uh, um, Gaius. He's condemned this other guy who's got a difficult name. The name actually, yeah, anyway, let's not go there. I looked up the meaning of the name. But now he's commending another person. He says, everyone speaks highly of Demetrius, as does the truth itself. We ourselves can say the same for him. And you know we speak the truth. I have much more to say, but I don't want to write it with pen and ink. For I hope to see you soon. And then we will talk face to face. Peace be with you, your friends. Here send their greetings. Please give my personal greetings to each of our friends there. This is a personal letter. It's less of a doctrinal uh, uh, teaching. It's not so much about theology. Theology will always come out in what we say. Theology will come out in the birthday card that you write for someone with your good wishes. May God be with you this next year. You're writing what you believe. God is with them, but you didn't think about it. <laughs> May God bless you. You're not thinking according to the word. You're thinking according to culture and tradition. So you can see this is, his theology is coming out and there's lots that we can learn from Sir John. But it's got nothing to do with faith making you wealthy. And I mean on that um, uh, topic, I opened the can of worms and I left it for you. And you need to go and study him some more maybe. But I wanted to show you what you can learn from Sir John. And so think about it for a moment before we are closed. What did you get out of Sir John? We got out how we need to be part of community. We got out how important it is to be submitted under godly leadership and allow leadership to speak into our lives. Then we got out, what was the first part there that we got out? Our focus. Don't be like that other guy, yeah? Anyway, there's a lot of things that you got out of that, I'm sure. Shepherding, the importance of church, all sorts of things. But I challenge you, when you read the Word, read it in context, study it in context, think about it, and then always be like, what do I, like, how do I adjust my life from this message I've received? 
You, know, you don't come to church just to receive a message and go home and go, wow, tick, that was great. I did something this week. You know, you don't come to church just to make the preacher feel good because the seats are full. Because it makes us feel good. If you want to make us feel good, fill the seats. Amen? You come so that you can learn something, so that you can receive something. You know, so that you can be challenged, so that you can grow. If you're not challenged, you're not going to grow. If you're not growing, what are you doing? You can find more of our free teachings on our website, www.gracelife.ca. And if you're ever in the Tigerberg area, we invite you to join us for one of our gatherings. Our aim is to help you discover Jesus, find family, and experience life. To contact us or to find out where and when we meet, visit our website, www.gracelife.ca.